Ever thought about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today. Welcome, everybody. This is Yochaved. Thank you for listening to A Deeper Conversation, a podcast for Jewish women. You're about to hear a conversation that I recorded a few weeks ago with the amazing Rochi Kovel. You're going to love this podcast. It was raw. It was emotional. We talked about Kirov. We talked about raising kids. We talked about what happens when our kids don't necessarily live the lifestyle that we live or that we would like them to live. And it was just an incredible podcast that I have I still have a lot of thoughts about. Um, Before I get to that, I want to let you know what's going on with this podcast. I've got a lot of great things coming up. So next week, I hope to post probably on Wednesday, a week from this coming Wednesday. Um, I usually do try to post on Sundays, but I'm going to be posting a few days late because I have a special Tisha B'Av podcast coming up. I have some amazing sponsors for that podcast, and I'm so grateful to people who sponsor the podcast and help keep it viable. But I'll be posting that a few days before Tisha B'Av, so you can listen before Tisha B'Av. Probably a lot of people will listen on Tisha B'Av, because I know Tisha B'Av afternoon, we're always looking for something meaningful to kind of pass the time. So I hope this will fit the bill. After that podcast, I will be posting a Q&A podcast over the course of the last 30 episodes, which I can't believe it's been about 30 episodes already into this podcast. Some people have been in touch with me with questions, and I always think if I get a question from somebody, it must be representative of a bunch of people who had the question but didn't necessarily send it, and I've been saving those, so I am going to um, do a kind of a QA and a and answer those questions publicly that I've been getting, and you may have some questions on this podcast that you're about to listen to with Rochi because I do and I'm even going to be addressing some of the things that came to my mind as I was re-listening to this amazing conversation. Before I get to that though, if you would like to sponsor a podcast, please email me at a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com. You can also just email me your thoughts and questions, which I would love to hear. Would love to hear feedback from you. You could also follow me on Instagram at a deeper conversation. And if you are interested in sponsoring a podcast, that's great. If you want to donate monthly, $5 a month just keeps the podcast going and um, is another way to show your support. And you can go to maverickpodcasting.com and click on the page for a deeper conversation. Click donate and you can help support the podcast in that way. Anyways, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this amazing conversation. I hope you love it as much as I did. Hi, Rochi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Well, um, as I said, right before we started, we're actually doing this in person. So Rochi and I are sitting in the same room together, which is amazing. So novel. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Live people. Um, But we live in the same city. And I only got to know you a little bit over the few years that I've lived in Cleveland. So I'm very excited about this, not just for my audience to get to know you, but also for myself as well. And so maybe just let's start off with tell me a little bit about and tell my audience a little bit about your background. Sure. So I'm originally from Queens, New York, and my family moved to Cleveland when um, my dad had passed away. My mom remarried. Um, my stepfather was here in Cleveland in medical school. He had gone to Tel Yeshiva. And so I came here in second grade, and so I'm basically a Clevelander. Mm-hmm. We moved back to back to my husband's family, who would become my husband, obviously. So 
we're both Clevelanders, uh, mostly born and both of us raised and bred here in Cleveland. When we got married, we lived in Israel for five years, and my husband, which is a story in its own right, decided to become a, a Kiruv rabbi. And I was not really sure how that was going to affect me because that was not something I had ever thought I was going to do. So when you married him, that wasn't the plan? No, it wasn't the plan. It wasn't my plan. It was clearly Hashem's plan. In fact, as I was growing up, people used to say to me things like, you should totally be a teacher one day. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> what I'm did you want to be? something much more glamorous. Oh, a nurse. That was when I was like three years old. And then... I used to dream about being an actress because I love to act, but obviously that's not very compatible with like a spiritual <laughs> Jewish life. Right. Um, but then I thought about being a music therapist right. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, here I am. I'm a teacher right. and I love it. But I think that being a teacher, if you love acting and you love music or if you're creative, that is a beautiful outlet for those talents. Don't you think? It's it's true. And and I'm a, I'm a ham. So right. <laughs> I never met a microphone I didn't like. So I do. I feel like I channel that into my teaching. And I when I'm right. in front of a crowd and I'm in front of an audience, I love every second of it. So right. thank God I am able to do what I love. And of course, you know, tell God your plans and make him laugh. Right. I totally relate to that because I, I know I used to be a teacher. I was a teacher for 20 years. And now I do more public speaking. And it is that same energy that I used to get from teaching, but kind of better because I don't need to do report cards. So. <laughs> right, and because you know that anyone who's in front of you wants to be in front of exactly, you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so true. Okay, so you were, for five years, You were your husband was learning in Kola. He decided he maybe wanted to go the Kira route. You were like, mm, not so sure, and then. Well, that's not what I said to him. Oh, okay. I said to him, of course, honey, what a beautiful <laughs> idea. Right. <laughs> but I was like, I wasn't like all in. I was like, okay, right. fine, I'll be a supportive wife. I'll have Shabbos right. guests, you know, but I had, I. I, I was working for Feldheim Publishers at the time. Mm -hmm. So I had all these like literary dreams of things I was going to do. Um, so yeah, I was like, okay, cool. You know, you'll do your rabbi thing and I'll do my thing and it'll be great. And, and the truth is there are a lot of couples that operate that way. Mm -hmm. You know, the husband is a rav or rabbi or whatever. And the wife doesn't just function as a full-time Robinson. She also mm -hmm. has other profession, interests, hobbies, whatever. Right. But in the end, I ended up going all in and thank God I'm really grateful I did. So after five years in Israel, where did you go? So his first job was uh, in Buffalo Grove, Illinois, okay. which is a northwest suburb of Chicago. Um, we lived there for two years. We had a two-year contract. Loved it very much, but felt very isolated from friends and family. We mm -hmm. were also doing a long commute to Chicago every day to get our kids to the day schools that we wanted them to go to. Buffalo Grove has changed a lot. There's more opportunities there now, but... It's hard when you're so close to such a vibrant community like Chicago, but you're still like a significant commute away. And I was kind of homesick for Cleveland, which is something I never thought would happen to me. <laughs> right. Um, we lived in Vancouver for many years. So the closest community to Vancouver is Seattle, which is a three-hour drive. And also you have to cross the border. Oh, boy. So when you're in that kind of self-contained place like Vancouver, which is so small, you just make do. It's not like... It's like you said, like if you're 15, you know, not 15, probably let's say 45 minutes. How far is Buffalo? Yeah, it was Chicago? a good because, you know, Chicago has traffic and it right. was such a tease to be right. that close, but not really that close. Right, right. I, I could see that being harder than just being in a very out of town place. Yeah, I think so. All right. OK, so you then moved back to Cleveland. Yeah. So then we moved back to Cleveland. And actually, when we first uh, moved here, my husband was working with Rabbi Nissen Bauman, Rabbi Stoll mm -hmm. at the JLC. Um, and then after a while we branched off on our own and we created JFX. Which is still going strong today. Yeah. And in addition strong. to that, you do a lot of teaching, 
Yeah, so I, I mean, a lot of the teaching that I do is with JFX, but I also work for an organization called Momentum, formerly JWRP. Um, their flagship program is they take women to Israel, but it's really like a lot more than that. It's a year mm -hmm. of growth. They have different retreats. I just came from one this week in Connecticut. It was incredible. They have all kinds of virtual opportunities now, like boosts and podcasts and all kinds of other stuff. So I do both of those, which I love. Okay. So at the end of this podcast, you'll have to remind me, I want to tell everybody exactly how to access those things and where they are. Okay. But going back to Kirov, I guess, um, what I'm just curious, I actually, my grandfather, like this is going back into like the 50s and 60s, before there was really a Balchuva movement, was doing Kirov in Denver, Colorado. And it wasn't really a thing that had really caught hold of the from community, I guess, because everybody had come, you know, mostly refugees from the war. There wasn't really that awareness of Jews who were leaving at that point. He was a little bit before his time. What was your grandfather's name? Uh, his name was Rav Shalem Oh, right. So I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my mother grew up in a Kirov environment in the 50s and 60s in, in Denver, Colorado. And, you know, but that I think that energy that she grew up with, the way that she describes it, a lot of like hippies searching for meaning, kind of wandering through their house, a lot of um, social movements going on. It's very different now. Very different. So what what's going on now in the Kirov world? How how has it changed even since you've been doing it? This is a very big question that I'm asking you. So a lot to talk about. Yeah, the Kirov movement has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, I think when a lot of us were first going into Kirov, like my husband's cohort at um, Orlagola, which was the Kirov training program through Orsameach that he'd participated in, it was like those heady days of like the 90s, you know, where you still had all these people like backpacking through Israel and all you needed right. was, you know, Mayor Schuster to tap you on the shoulder. And the next thing you knew, you were a black hatter with 10 kids. Right. <laughs> you know, those days are over. Right. And even if you will ask people in Kirov like myself, mm -hmm. like what are your goals in Kirov, which even the question wrinkles, like how right. can you have an agenda for another human being? Right. And we'll, we'll get more yeah. into that later, I'm That's sure. That's definitely something that we have to go back to, yeah. Right. Um, but I would say that if you're not going to be realistic about the reality of the Kirov movement, you're going to burn out. And there's a reason that my husband and I have been doing this for over two decades and we're not burned out yet, even though we have our moments, but we're not burned <laughs> out yet. Um is because our our expectations are really realistic. And when I say expectations, again, God forbid you can have an expectation of another human being, but just like, how are you defining um, making an impact? Mm. For me, making an impact means that I, I look at myself as a shadchan. Jew, mm. here's God. God, right. here's Jew. Now, mm. what, what you guys do with your relationship, that's totally up to you, right? Just like right. when a shadchan sets two people up, they don't have control over the trajectory of that relationship. There's going to have to be a certain resonance or chemistry. But it's my job in, in this, you know, matchmaking to mm. present God in a way that is at least accessible to people. Whereas mm. before, they may have had no access, which is amazing. Like we live literally live in the world of information, in, in the era of information. Yet, this mm. is not a matter of information. It's a matter of education. And, and there's like... There are spiritual realities that have not been well formulated or well disseminated. That's what I consider my job. And thank God, like in defining Kirov that way, mm -hmm. which is helping to bring God, like a Jewish God into a Jewish person's life. I think that, thank God, we have been very successful. Right. 
I like what you said that it's not about information. There's certainly a lot of information out there. I think what there isn't also, and probably this is what you're doing and why you've been successful, is maybe there's just no connection. There's almost too much information sometimes. Yes, and that's, I think, a big difference when I think about like the Kirov movement of the 70s or 80s, besides for the fact that in general, it was the culture of the world that people were mm. searching for movements and isms and right. meaning. But besides for that, I think that today's young people are so bombarded with information, there's like information fatigue. Yeah. There's a million podcasts, a bazillion blogs, a right. thousand books. Like, right. where do you even start? You're like lost in the trees. Right. So what do you do to foster that connection? It's interpersonal. Yeah. It's person to person. It's like the door-to-door salesman of the past. Right. You know, there's Amazon, and you can right. sell stuff on Amazon, but like... You can't sell Judaism on Amazon. It's a personal connection. And this is why, even though during COVID, it's amazing that there were so many virtual opportunities. And thank God my Torah also travels virtually. But the real difference is going to be made through personal relationships. There's just no shortcut to that. Right. Yeah, I like that idea. There's no shortcuts in general, I think, with a lot of things that could probably be applied to, Kirov especially. Anything real takes time. Anything real takes time and also takes a certain amount of effort and hard work. I mean, I know that you've probably seen this, um, and I've seen this also growing up out of town. My parents were, I guess, I would say in a cure of type of, I kind of grew up in a cure of type of situation also, but when you see somebody become religious very quickly, it's usually like red flags, warning sign, there's something off here. Yep, and it often doesn't last. It often doesn't last, or I think sometimes it becomes a vehicle for this is a very extreme statement, so I, I don't want anybody to take it the wrong way, but almost like a good place to hide a mental illness, Yeah, I guess, if, if that makes sense. I, well, yeah, and there's more to that. Um, there's a lot but, more to that. So we'll, we'll have to we'll explain that out so that— no. Yeah, but what I was going to say before yeah. is that every now and then my husband will read in some, like, you know, from a magazine, like, oh, this person, you know, was a, a lost soul, went to Israel, met a rabbi, became right. religious, and we look at each other, we're like, I hate that story. <laughs> I've always hated that story. I will always hate that story. Like, that's just not, what even does that mean? I mean, come on. There's, there's gotta be more to this story. Right. And personal growth is so much more nuanced than that. I mean, so I just have to explain what I said before, because, you know, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression, but as an example, one of my closest friends who is a, um, abolished Chuva, and as often happens when she became from her family freaked out Mm -hmm. and they felt like she was getting involved with a cult and it was, you know, it was contentious. And she called me up once and she said, maybe I really am involved in a cult and I just don't realize. I mean, cultists don't know that they're in a cult. Right. And I said to her, so when you're in a cult, you get separated from your family. That's what a cult does. They indoctrinate you away from your family. When you come closer to Hashem, you become a better daughter and you become, your relationships get better. That's how you know you're not in a cult. And I think when people come closer to Torah, to Judaism, they find that their relationships are stronger, they're more present in all different well, and kinds a of good, ways. A good cure of professional, if you'll excuse the crass and horrible <laughs> term, um, will coach a person on that journey and say, no, you should go to your family's, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, whatever, right. fill in the blank. You know, very often it's the young person who's coming closer to Judaism who feels that they should be more extreme and the, and the rabbi or, or right. whatever mentor has to coach them no, 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 calm down, stay connected, stay integrated, stay involved. Of course, don't cross your personal boundaries, but you know, you need to remain a part of your family. So the opposite is often true. Um, but, but what you said before, uh, about the, you know, perhaps a certain emotional instability, I I think what I've seen happen sometimes is that look, cure of organizations, 
like Aish, Chabad, you know, JFX, JLC, they're very, by definition, warm and welcoming places, Mm -hmm. right? And this is both because we, you know, we believe that, you know, what it says, Hillel says, Mm -hmm. you should be like the, like the students of Aharon, you know, Mm -hmm. love, peace, pursue peace, love people and bring them close to Torah. So love, peace, pursue peace, love people. Those are the prerequisites to bringing them close to Torah. But obviously, duh, I mean, any organization, business, nonprofit, who's trying to bring people in, like be nice is almost, you know, that's like the first commandment. Okay, hello. So what happens is often people who are lonely, estranged, perhaps unstable, um, you know, perhaps have, you know, neglected a family of their own or whatever, might find themselves being attracted to a care of organization because it might be the only place where they're finding, you know, open arms and love and support. So, you know, exactly, acceptance. So care of organizations are sometimes in an uncomfortable position where there are people who are attracted to them who are not emotionally stable and they're sometimes looking to religion as sort of like a panacea to fix them you know right. and it's it can be it can be sticky on both ends right and i think even people who don't even fit into that category i do think for balichuva there maybe is that moment that they have to realize that being from doesn't mean that they're not going to have problems anymore right cuz from people don't have any problems you right. understand <laughs> right um i think also one of the things that i've noticed again with my friends who have become from and having had conversations with people who are Bali Chuva is that even though it's so hard to start, let's say, keeping Shabbos, keeping Kashros, whatever it is, um, one of my best friends, I'm not going to say her name, but she knows who she is. The day before, she's like an all or nothing kind of person. So the day before she started keeping kosher, she went to McDonald's, had a cheeseburger, fries, and Coke. <laughs> and the next day, 100% kosher. It's like the last supper before your diet, right? Exactly. Except for that, in this case, that was like 20 years ago. So it was a, it was a very good diet. But, um, you know, there's a certain amount of energy that comes from those things. Shabbos, especially your life changes. It's amazing. Totally. And you know, you start going to the mikvah, your marriage changes. And you make these big changes. They're very visible. Everybody can see them. Your social interactions change right away. You now have to negotiate with family, with friends. People, like for women, covering their hair is such a, I think it's like the last step for women on the road to fromkitis when they start covering their hair. It's so huge. And then there's this almost like dip that happens because the things that now they're working on are not so instantly gratifying. Well, there's a certain adrenaline when you make- you know, sweeping changes to your life. And you can't live at that level of adrenaline forever. Right. You know, and and also, I think what happens sometimes, you know, as you were saying, like Shabbos does this and Mikvah does that. I think as Kirov professionals, again, I say that with a gag. Um, <laughs> why, do you, why do you say that with a gag? <laughs> because it makes it sound so crass. Right. Like it's a job or like it's like you're monetizing like, Kirov? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're monetizing yeah. a person's religious journey. It's just right. like, I wish I didn't have to get paid for this, but right. I do. right. You know, yes. anyway, I just, I hate the term, whatever. <laughs> in any case, um, I feel like people in my position need to be very careful mm-hmm. not to make these sweeping guarantees. Guarantees, Shabbos yes. will do this, Kirov will do, you know, uh, Kosher will do that, Mikvah will do that. You know, sometimes it won't. Sometimes keeping Shabbos is going to be lonely and sometimes going to the Mikvah is going to be fraught and sometimes keeping Kosher is going to mean you're, you're going to be really hungry in an airport and all you're going to have are M&Ms and a pre- thing of pretzels. I don't think that we should be, quote, selling care of in terms of this will make you happy. Not because I don't yeah. think it will. Right. But because if somebody's doing it for that reason, then it's contractual. That's not the reason. Right. The reason to do it is because it has the possibility to bring deep meaning to your life and because this is what you were created for. Now, sometimes the things that bring deep meaning to your life are also difficult. Right. 
and they require a huge investment and they were, it's a trade-off. Everything has a price. And I think that if cure professionals are not going to be honest about that, then they're going to get into trouble later. And then people are going to come back and say, you, you told me X, Y, and Z, or I came into cure this cure of organization and I saw all these happy couples and all their pretty shaitals. And now I'm, you know, disillusioned and we, we just got to be honest. We, we got to be honest. I mean, not brutally honest, like the same way if somebody, you know, right. if you're selling shoes and so, you, you, you know, the salesman doesn't have to tell the person all the issues with the shoes. You have to sell it attractively, but not dishonestly. Right. Well, I think that that's also what it is. Like you're not necessarily selling something. Like you said, you're just introducing. Correct. So when you sell something, then it is, it's a transactional thing. And if you don't like the product that I sold you, you want to return it. Right. But that's not really what cure is meant to be about. And a lot of times it does become that way or maybe the cure of professional again, um, maybe has his own ego wrapped up in the people that yes. he's bringing closer, closer. Yes. And that's, I think, a big trap that sometimes people fall into. Yes. And I think those professionals have to do a little bit of soul searching yeah. and asking themselves, do I need this more than it needs me? Am I? Mm. Sometimes I think we're filling holes within ourselves by mm -hmm. helping others and then we need to be needed and there's something unhealthy about that. Mm -hmm. And I think we, you know, it's almost like therapy except that you're not trained, licensed, or supervised. What do you mean doing care of is like yeah. therapy? Yeah. You know, because you're going to be in a position of counseling. People are going to come to you with their issues. You're not bound by confidentiality. There are no laws really governing your, you know, job. And I think if you're not careful... Um, and mature, you can run into a lot of boundary issues. That's for sure true, especially when young people get involved yep. in. And they feel like they can't say no, right. you know, and they have a house full of guests and they've got kids of their own. And you've kind of been trained that like you're saving the world. Right. So it almost feels like nothing is a good enough reason to draw a boundary. Right. Do you have lots of guests in your home? Do you? So I was just talking to a friend of mine, Esty Deitch in Chicago. I was just with her on this secure retreat in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And they run a program called CTN, Chicago mm -hmm. Tour Network. Their tagline is literally my favorite ever. <laughs> it's a home for the wandering Jew. Uh, Isn't that great? Yeah. Anyway, when we first moved to Buffalo Grove, they were about 10 years, I guess 10 to 15 years ahead of us. They're okay. still 10 to 15 years ahead of us, but now we feel more like peers. <laughs> and they were like our mentors. And I remember her telling me once, she's like, we only have Shabbos guests for one meal and the other meal is just our kids. And in all the times that I've touched base with her over the years, she's like checked in with me on that. Mm -hmm. Like, don't put your cure before your kids. Don't put your cure before your kids. So we've really, like I'm not going to say every week, but generally you have followed that formula. Mm -hmm. Also, I do not at all enjoy having a lot of guests at one time. I find that I feel like a caterer, which I don't even like to cook, so why would I be a caterer? Right. Um, I can't connect with people deeply, which is what I enjoy. Right. Uh, and I and I don't really, I I just feel like less is more for right. me, you know, right. in terms of actual personal connections. Um, there were a couple of years where things were a little chaotic within my own family, and we made a decision not to have any Shabbos guests. Mm -hmm. So for like two years, we had no Shabbos guests at all. Right. And you know, I'm not going to say that was an e easy decision to make, but it was definitely the right decision to make. So we try to be very boundaried and principled in terms of the guests. Right. I, I also think that everybody has their own, like this is sort of what we we're saying before, everybody has their own talents and gifts. And there might be somebody who just loves an open house and people coming in day and night. My aunt's and uncle's house was like that. The doors were literally never locked. And you could be sitting in the, I have vivid memories of being there for aunts, of sitting in the living room 
um, you know, late at night, one o'clock in the morning and kids just randomly like oh walk. Oh gosh, I'm getting hives listening <laughs> to you. <laughs> my uncle ran Eastern Seaboard NCSY for years, many years, Rabbi Yitzchak Brown, who sure. just actually nipped her two, year, two yes. weeks ago. Um, and it was just incredible actually just that experience. And I remember growing up, going going there with all the NCS wires around and the energy that was in their house. And my aunt really like open door policy all the time. It was crazy. And a lot of people <laughs> just can't live like that. No. You know, I so it was, it was incredible because so many of the old NCS wires were like calling and sent so many beautiful stories and memories. But, you know, because that type of lifestyle isn't for me, it's certainly not for me. I, I, I couldn't handle that kind of open door and nor do I want to be a caterer like like you. But there are other things that I can do. And I think using your talents in a proactive way to help Claudiusrol is much better than wishing that you had the talents that maybe Hashem didn't give you. Totally. Like why can't I be like this person? Why can't I have an open house like her? Why can't I, totally. you know, get up and give a speech so easily? A lot of people just can't do that. Right? right. Right. And I mean the truth is like there were times that I felt inadequate because I have a lot of Kira friends who are totally doing that. Every Friday night, 40, 50 people. And even yeah. when people meet me and they hear, oh, I'm a Kira, they're like, oh, you probably have a ton of Shabbos guests. And it almost feels like a confession to say, no, I don't <laughs> have a ton of Shabbos guests. That doesn't right. work for me. Right. you know. But it's a, like almost like this assumption that that's what Kira right. people do. And the funny thing is, when we first started, I thought that's what I wanted. Right. And then as I got into my life and my kids started getting older and I got older and we, we grew and change, I was like, I need my boundaries. I just mm -hmm. need them. Not just because they're good, mm -hmm. but because I feel very put upon when I don't have my own space. Right. I, I totally hear that. Yeah. It's, I think, a very important thing, not just for care professionals, but for everybody to just keep in mind those personal boundaries and what's going to allow you to have the strength to actually go and do your job. Exactly. Right. Um, I guess... What, in your experience in all the years that you've been doing Kirov, so you said, what, two decades? Mm -hmm. Have you I mean, we moved back to Cleveland in 2000, so actually mm -hmm. we started in 1998. Oh, okay, so more than two decades of, of right. doing Kirov. Um, well, you said that connection is the most important thing, and that's what brings people closer. Um, maybe I'll ask you the opposite question. Have you noticed, what are the things that people do that turn people off? Like, what has, what, what's, what's the repellent, the opposite of Kirov? That people seem to say, I don't want to be a part of this. Rehook. Well, yeah. first of all, I think the question is a little bit like, uh, carries a bit of an assumption mm -hmm. that people don't become from because of other people. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily know if that's true. I think okay. that people have, and this is something I've learned the hard way as a cure of professional, people had a ton of their own stuff that has nothing to do with you. Right. They come with their own assumptions, their own biases, their own baggage, their own insecurities, fears, peer pressure. And there are a thousand reasons that have nothing to do with me that mm -hmm. they may not be that interested in living this lifestyle. A mm -hmm. hundred excellent, legitimate reasons. Right. I mean, I was born into this life, you know. Right. I don't know what it's like to dramatically change your life. I remember once I was in a Kirov seminar and someone said, if I were to ask you to become a Satmar Chassid, would you? And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> and they're like, well, when you're working with a non-Orthodox Jew and you're teaching them about Shabbos and kosher, even if you're not telling them, be Orthodox, right? Because of course right. you don't say that. But to them, it's more right. than you becoming a Satmar Chassid. Right. That's such an interesting perspective. Yeah. yeah. Even if you would ask me to make minor changes to my religious practice, I would bulk. Right. So, you know, why not? Right. That said, I'll still answer your question. Okay. 
a lot of us from Jews are not authentic mm-hmm. and we're not honest. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt that a lot of people don't know how to not do this. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of from Jews feel like they have to put on a facade of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And I mean that materialistically and I mean that spiritually. And I think that when non-from people meet from people and those from people are real and honest and authentic and kind, that is the definition of cure of Ohev Shalom, Rodev Shalom, Ohev Esabrios, Umakarvan Latora. That's the recipe. That's what Hillel said. Mm-hmm. That that's like be, be the children of Aharon, right? It's not fake, mm-hmm. you know, it's not shallow, right? It's not perfectionism. It's just real. Mm-hmm. I in a way, and I hope nobody pelts me for saying this, I feel like I can be more myself with my non-Orthodox friends than with some of my Orthodox friends. Because I feel like in the Orthodox world, your shaitel has to be just right. Your makeup has to be just right. Your kids have to be just right. Your sheva brachas has to be just right. Everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the non-Orthodox, you, you just you could just be you. You could just be real. Right. It's really seductive. I think that if from people want to make Judaism attractive, then they have to make Judaism attractive. That's so interesting. I mean, you said a lot of things as you were talking that I was like, oh, I, have, I want to ask her about this. I want to ask her about that. But it really did make me think of a friend of mine who became religious in Vancouver. And Vancouver is such a small community. You know what those tiny communities are like? Everybody's together. Right. And also Vancouver is very far away. So it's not close to any from community. And she said, well, like, what group am I in? I, like, I don't know. You know, like, as you start to learn the from world, you learn yeah. all these, like, designations that we've sort of created. Oh, have you ever gone on like Sayu at Sinai? Modern yeah. Orthodox Yeshivish, modern Orthodox Machmir. Like how many <laughs> teeny tiny mini categories can we splinter ourselves into? Right. Well, there's a group psychology um, explanation for all that. So the narcissism of small differences. Yeah. Basically, yeah. the closer groups get in common, the more they need to highlight those very small, usually superficial differences oh, yeah. to distinguish Humans. themselves. We're so weird. So complicated. <laughs> but I remember saying to her, it doesn't, you live in Vancouver. You don't need to pick a team. You That's could just right. do the right thing, and you could try to do what Hashem wants you to I do. I almost want to protect people, like when they when they say, "Oh, I'm going to you know Yeshivish right. Community X." I'm almost like, "Don't, don't go. go. <laughs> Stay here, please." Well, I I remember, and it's actually true. Like when you are in a small Kirov community, you have your support system, and when people become from, so they start to think longingly, like, "Oh, I really would love to have my kids be in a big yep. school." Especially by Chuva, they'll think, "I want to be able to give my kids what I can't give them because they didn't grow up in Beisiakov. They can't help their kids with their homework necessarily. Right. They right, right. can't teach themselves." So they think, "I'm going to go to this big community, put my kids in a Beisiakov school," and then very often it really does. Be, I've seen it happen, or it just becomes a disaster because yep. they fall through the cracks. They don't have their support system. No, I almost feel like keep your kid in public yeah. school, send them to. <laughs> NCSY, send them to me, <laughs> send them to Israel, right, right. you know, it's yeah. just too much of a culture clash. Yeah, it's, it is very hard. And especially in those big communities, everybody's moving very quickly. And I really do believe like we moved, when we moved from Vancouver, we moved from Vancouver to Brooklyn and everybody said, oh my gosh, you're going to Brooklyn. It's going to be such a, it's going to be so hard. And I actually, I thought it was very nice. People are very nice. And I had, you had to make more of an effort and be more proactive to meet people because it's less of a community, but Jews are nice. It's just that you really had, I really had to take responsibility for my social life and for making friends and for being part of a community where when you're in a small, warm community, you really, it just kind of happens and you're just automatically part of the group because of 
just the numbers, but certainly somebody who's a Balchuva who grows up outside the community goes into a community where there's so many unspoken social norms. Exactly. And it's very, you always are going to feel a little bit like an outsider. Yeah. And there's nothing you could say about that. I, I mean, do, I do think Jews are nice. Jews, Jews are amazing. <laughs> I just think that sometimes when we're living in these high pressure, you know, communities and environment where it's like, go to this school, go to this school. No, you can't right. go to this school. You don't fit. We forget to be nice. It's not that it's not in us. Right. It's just that we get distracted by other silliness. We get distracted by other silliness. And I think another dynamic that plays out in the from community, especially we talk, you talked about, let's say, wearing perfect shaitals or having, for me, like I always see people with their kids matching. And I'm like, why so much energy on the matching? Yeah. Like, could we not make that a thing anymore? Like, I really wish that could not be a thing. <laughs> this is my own yeah. personal thing. But I think one of the beautiful things about from society is how egalitarian it is as far as just, you you know, two kids in the same class whose parents go to the same shul, sit next to each other in shul, and one person is very successful and another person isn't. And it's just very egalitarian in that way. In the non-from world, everybody really lives with their demographic. So there isn't that daily competition that you have that exists in the from world where people of all financial kind of situations live with each other, go to the same schools and shuls and are watching each other. So Interesting. somebody could afford to go to a Pesach program in Mexico with their whole family and somebody else feels like, but my best friend is going. Right, you right, know? right. That's very interesting. I, I never so, quite thought about it that way. Yeah. So it's like kind of the pros and cons a little bit or one of the right. cons of that like beautiful, you know, sort of no barriers. The only barrier is we all believe in Hashem and we want to die right. together. Well, I think I think another dynamic of this comes from a good place. We right. want to honor Shabbos. We want to honor, you know, Yentif. Yes. We want to honor the Chasinkala. So the standards have crept up and up and up and up. You have to have multi-courses. You have to have this elaborate Sheva Brachas. You have all for the right reasons, but things have spiraled. I mean, I don't know. And the non-from world is getting more and more casual also. Yes. So when somebody comes in from the outside world, it's just like sort of as a funny example, you know, um, my friend is doing a renovation. And so she had a, non, um, a non-Jewish architect design her space. And she looked at it and she said, there's no dining room. No, yeah. Right? No we need a formal a dining, room, dining room. Nobody has a formal dining no. room anymore. It's just open space. And no one has a formal anything anymore. Right. And in the firm world, we're still trying to preserve that a little bit. When I get dressed in the morning and I'm teaching a class, yeah. I make sure to get, you know, I get dressed, put on a cute outfit, put on my makeup. Invariably, I am the only one in the room wearing makeup. Really? Yeah. Right. And now in the firm world, it's it's not just makeup. It's whatever. I'm going off on a tangent. It's, it's t- I love it's a- from people. <laughs> Please don't get me wrong. We I like them very people. much. We just want everybody to know we love from people. That's why we want more people to be from. That's the whole point of this podcast. But I do think it's, it goes it's back not to- even that I want more people to be from. What do you want? Being from is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm after. Mm-hmm. I want more people from and non from to authentically have Hashem in their lives. That's beautifully Full said. Full stop. Because- that's where the meaningfulness comes from. And okay. some of the people who most have Hashem in their lives don't happen to keep Shabbos, at least not the way we would define it. Right. You know, and then we know there are people going through the motions, but they don't authentically have Hashem in their life. There are so many from people. All you need to go is go on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So many from people who don't have that authenticity with Hashem. And it's like, it breaks my heart because he's, he's right there waiting to catch you if right. you're just willing to fall. Right. Right. I love that. That was beautifully said. Thank you. Okay, I get very passionate sometimes. <laughs> well, that's great. I think it's a message that everybody needs to hear because, you know, back in the day when I was younger, certainly when my mother was growing up, so a lot of Kirov was outreach to people who grew up, let's say not from or parents who had left. But I think now 
there's a bigger need for inreach, meaning people who grew up in the yes. system, people who went to Beis Yaakov and really don't have that connection yes. at all for yes. whatever yes. reason. In fact, even the word from, yeah. like I don't ever want my non-Orthodox friends to hear people say, oh, they're from, oh, they're not from, the way we right. categorize people in our heads. Right. Like even that is like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. Right. I mean, you can't avoid it. We just naturally need those heuristics I say it. to Don't like... get me wrong. I say it. <laughs> but just the way we kind of like make those categories in our head, like we really shouldn't. We shouldn't. No. But we, we It's do. a shortcut. It's a shortcut. I get it. Yeah. Right. But what would you rather somebody say besides from then? <sighs> I don't even know. Maybe we could just not make categories. I, I know. I'm like a Vancouver Jew. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's just try to do the right thing in every situation. But like, does it really matter to me if somebody keeps Shabbos or not Shabbos? It's a Jew. It's right. Hashem's child. I don't care. I know there are some halachic ramifications. Okay, you can't be a mashgiach. You can't be an aide at a wedding. Okay, how many times does that really come up? Do you know what I mean? Right. We, we use it to make sense of things. The same way we have modern Orthodox machmir. You know what right. I mean? The same way. Like, we have those categories. The same way, like, you know, with diagnoses, I want to know, like, does this kid have ADD? Does, does this kid on the spectrum? Why? Because it helps me make sense. But. I don't know, just to like put people in these boxes. I don't right. Know. There is something that, that is not a little bit offensive about those labels, yes. I guess, that we have. One of the ways that I think about it sometimes, and I don't know if this will work for you, but I sometimes think about the difference between being observant and being religious. And those are kind of the two categories that I have in my head. So meaning just because somebody's observant doesn't necessarily mean that they're religious. And just because they're religious, and I just sort of define religious as somebody who believes in God and is looking for, I guess, that meaning that you were talking about. Spiritual. Right, doesn't necessarily make them observant. Right. Now, you do, as a Jew, need both, yes. ideally. Right. But they're not necessarily found in the same person Correct. all the time. And that's kind of how I always think about that. There's observant, there's religious. Right. And those are, you know, exactly. sort of the categories that I that I work with. Yes. So, okay, so let's just shift topics for a little bit because I'm getting the feeling that we could be sitting here all day and let my audience know it is Erev Shabbos. <laughs> so while normally Rochi and I would be wearing makeup, we're not today. <laughs> no, and also right. we both, do, I mean, I don't like to cook. You said you didn't want to be a caterer. You said you didn't say you don't like to cook. I like to eat, so I like to cook because oh, I like Oh, see, to eat. thank you. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we'd both rather, rather be sitting here schmoozing with each right. other than at home cooking. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's Friday. I didn't even shop yet, much less cook, so... Oh. Straight from here to the grocery store, Mr. Shem. But tell me what it's like for your kids to grow up in that cure of environment. So, <laughs> well, thank God, Baruch Hashem, we have seven kids. So, you know, each one has a different story. Mm -hmm. um, I would say on balance, there are times that they love it mm -hmm. and they think it's fun and they love meeting new people and they love being part of a vibrant, exciting community. Mm -hmm. And the people that are members of our organization are really such excellent, wonderful, deep, kind people. So it's really very fulfilling for my kids to be a part of this. And they also sometimes hate it, mm. <laughs> particularly some of them. First of all, you know, we are public people right. um, living in a fishbowl. It's not mm -hmm. fun. Um, some of my kids have expressed that, you know, they felt like, if somebody at JFX puts on tefillin one time, it's like a simcha. If I don't put on tefillin one time, it's a tragedy. Mm. So sensing somewhat of a double standard. Right. And it can be really hard to 
raise a family when there's constantly like it's there's no real boundary like we were talking before about boundaries between where your life ends you're inviting these people into your home as part of your yantif sometimes you know instead of having like a normal shavua suda at home we're having an event at jfx and then mm-hmm. the kids will decide based on how old they are who they are where they are at if they'll come and join us or not um and as much as we do try to create boundaries you know it's not always the boundaries that my kids would would prefer mm-hmm. And it's 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 been complicated. And you know, considering that some of our kids are not from, we have definitely wondered, or perhaps it's been suggested by others that maybe mm-hmm. our cure of work has had a negative spiritual impact on our kids. Um, which, for the record, and I'm really speaking non-emotionally right now because I've had a lot of time to think about it and to talk about a lot of other people in the field. I don't really think that it happens to Kira families more than it does to other families. I just think that Kira families are in the spotlight right. and that it's it's easy to make that connection. Like nobody's going to say, well, you're a doctor. I mean, it's kind of understandable that your kid right. would become from, right? right. And, and there hasn't been any serious data on this topic either. Um, you know, and I do think, you know, some people have suggested that perhaps because our kids see other like really wealthy or really successful people and they're not keeping Shabbos and they're they're not from and they have their act together that maybe they're like, well, why can't I be that? You know, and I think that does happen. But mm-hmm. I think that I think there's going to be, like I said before, every person comes to the table with their own pile of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that if a child was secure and comfortable with who they were, that wouldn't rattle them. You know, right. whereas if they're already insecure or uncomfortable, it would rattle them. Interesting. Um, or the fact that, you know, it's been suggested that perhaps because we've been more chilled about people driving to our house on Shabbos, that that has negatively impacted our kids spiritually. But by the same token, I feel like here they are exposed to a community of people who are sincere and growing and learning. And, you know, as adults sitting at a Shabbos table at the age of 40 or 50 saying, you know, right. these are successful, brilliant people in whatever they do professionally, and they're willing to look uneducated for the sake of coming close to Judaism. I mean, my kids have expressed how deeply inspiring that is. Right. So at the same time, you know, you're kind of getting both you know, the good and the bad. Um, And, you know, I mentioned that that for two years we didn't have any cure of company. And, you know, when our kids started to sort of follow a non-from path, in the beginning it was deeply, deeply embarrassing for us because we felt like, who are we to teach people to become from when we can't, quote, keep our own kids from, right? Mm -hmm. Like as though we are the managers of the train station and we get to decide where every train goes, Um, which is why I didn't talk about it for a very long time. But what I've come to understand is that people have seen that we accept our kids for who they are mm-hmm. and that we do truly practice what Hillel said, mm-hmm. right? Ohev shalom, rodev shalom, ohev esabrius and makarvan la Torah. It doesn't say that applies to everyone except for your own children. Right. So the fact that we so can powerful. truly practice That's that. That's such a powerful thing that you're saying. As, as I'm thinking as you're saying it because it's just – like what you said, maybe people would say like, oh, you can't, your your own kids are not from, so therefore, and I'm thinking out loud as I'm, as I'm saying so this. therefore, who are you to get up there and preach, you know, X, Y, and Z? Right, but you're really showing that you love Jews. Yes. All Jews. Exactly, and and that was the hardest test in Ahavas Yisrael. Right. The hardest really? test in Ahavas Yisrael is not inviting, you know, lawyer X from Solon to come to your house for Shabbos. Mm-hmm. The hardest test in Ahavas Yisrael is when your own kid seemingly wants to throw away what you taught them, are you really still going to love them? That's the hardest test in us, Israel. And people in my community have confided in me that they've seen how we've handled this challenge, and it has been 
the most inspiring thing that they've seen in Judaism. Right. I mean, uh, it's it's relationship. Like you yeah. said in the beginning, like that's really what it's coming down to. It's taking yourself out. Like this is not about me and like my um, bona fides as a mother, I guess, like that I like produced all these beautiful from kids and you're going to have this perfect from life if you do what I do yep. and you become religious. It's about authentic connection and meaning. Which is exactly what I was saying in the beginning. Right. Is that if the from world could be more authentic, mm-hmm. I think people would be more attracted to Torah. Yeah. The other piece is this. There was a woman in my community who their daughter was like in 11th, 12th grade. She's going to go to college like everybody else. She was in a public school. The daughter got involved in NCSY Mm -hmm. and she wanted to go to seminary. Mm. And the mother was really having a hard time with it. And she's a wonderful, spiritually motivated, learning, growing person. And she was really struggling with this. All her friends' kids are going to to college and, you know, hear her, you know, Parents worry that they're going to like lose their kid. They're going to run off to Israel. They're going to marry an Israeli. I'm like, hello, that's my greatest dream. Go to Israel, <laughs> marry an Israeli, you make Aliyah. You know? But parents worry, you know, you're, you're yeah. living in suburban Cleveland. It's hard. And I remember sitting her down and this was several years after mm-hmm. like, you know, it became public that my right. kids weren't from anymore. Right. Cause right. of course it's always germinating for a while before it becomes right. obvious on the outside. But I sat her down and I said, listen, I said, you know how hard we have struggled to accept our kids path. Mm-hmm. and to give them the space to live their life and to find their own way. I said, you know, we want nothing more than for our kids to like be connected to Torah and mitzvot. But right now they're not. And I'm not, this is not me preaching Rebetzin Ruchi, you know? Right. This is me as your friend. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done. And I said, you have to do the same for yours. So like, the thing that I thought was so embarrassing as a Kira professional actually ended up being something that like helped people see that a, I really mean what I say that you have mm-hmm. to love every Jew. Like, would you love your own kid if they weren't Orthodox? Well, I've had to prove that I do. Mm-hmm. And number two is, is to help other people understand that when your family members want to go in the opposite direction, they want to become a black hat or they want to mm-hmm. go to yeshiva. They want to flip out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You have to offer them that same Liberty. Right. That's amazing. That's so powerful. It's almost like, I mean, I hate to say it, obviously, and Immerse Hashem, like all your kids will continue on the path towards meaning. I mean, and, I appreciate and that's, the way you said that. <laughs> well, that's really what this podcast is about. It's sometimes we just, again, the whether it's the categories in our mind or whether it's we think of from as a way to look as opposed to a way to be. That word from, like, you look a certain way, you cover your hair, you yes, keep shopping. like a lifestyle. Yeah. It's a lifestyle, it's a culture. Yep. It's not necessarily, you know, an identity as far as what I believe in and how I think. Um, but it almost sounds like there is a certain amount of freedom that you have a little bit to just genuinely, like, love people from having gone through this experience with your kids. Yes. Which is, which is incredible. I've also... You know, when I was a young Makareves, like Mm -hmm. 20, whatever years ago it was, everything was theoretical. I was such a baby. Why did anybody listen to a word I I said? (laughs) I was legit 23. Right. No offense. (laughs) To everybody who's 23. (laughs) Okay. But as smart as you think you are at 23, life teaches you stuff. You know, I would talk about like going through challenging times. Mm. Like, what did I know? Now that I've gone through some of the things that I've gone through, I feel like I can understand people who come to me in a much, much, much deeper way. 
Yeah. I now understand things about mental illness. I now understand things about religious starvation. I understand things about body image issues and addiction. And I mean, so many things. I, I, nothing, nothing can give you wisdom. Like my, my mother-in-law always says, in chacham kabal hanisayon. Mm. No one is wiser than the person with experience. Right. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm all about authenticity. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say mm. everything is so great with all my relationships because right. I have all this wisdom. No, there are days that I still feel like crying in my pillow and there are days that I do do mm. that. It just means that I have a mahalach now. Mm. I have a path. I know which way I want to go. Not every day am I feeling it, but I know what I need to do to be the person I want to be. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So final question, I guess, yes, is um, if there was one message that you could give maybe to either parents who are struggling with kids who are struggling with their own from kite, what would it be? The first thing that I would say is be so nice to yourself because it's such a big nisayon. Mm -hmm. And because of the nature of from society, it's often a very private nisayon. You know, and then sometimes your your kid will go out there dressed like, you know, a way that embarrasses you or they'll post things on social media that embarrass you or it, it, it can sometimes be a deeply, deeply shameful, embarrassing, isolating, lonely, demoralizing, depressing and discouraging experience. I hope there's a but coming. No, no, there isn't. No. Just as an awareness. And therefore, that, be therefore, so kind okay, therefore, to yourself. Be so kind to yourself. Okay. Be, give yourself so much grace because whatever yeah. you're feeling is normal and legitimate. And this is like not what any of us have in for under the chuppah. Right. Also. Okay. There's an also. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many people like you. Yes. Just we're all, we're all hiding our garbage. You know, right. my, my friend Giti Kohn told me everybody has garbage. Some people's garbage is in clear plastic bags and some people's garbage is in black garbage bags. It's true. It is so true. And I think that that's also one of the things that you get as you get older, that wisdom to recognize that, you know, everybody really has their, their struggles. And sometimes you still forget it as you, much as right, you know it, right? right? Some yes. moments you're still, okay. But okay. So, so it's find, very find your tribe. There are people yes. who are suffering like you're suffering, find them and, and, and help yourself feel normal right. and find the place where you can vent and cry and feel scared and mm -hmm. feel angry and feel frustrated. And also... Just love your kid. Just love your kid. I know that's like so overused and so over cliched, but it's so hard to do sometimes. Just validate them. Understand that however much in pain you are, they are in more pain. Yes. Yes. Nobody wants to become the social pariah in their family and friends. Mm -hmm. And if they're throwing away their Judaism or seemingly throwing away their Judaism, there are deep, deep reasons why they feel compelled to do the things they do which you may be totally unaware of. Right. So just try to replace compassion instead of anger. Right. I mean, listen, if a parent can maintain the relationship with their kids, then that that kid is always connected to Torah and Judaism because their connection to Hashem is through their parents. And Correct. even if they're not necessarily living a quote-unquote from lifestyle, they're connected to Torah, they're connected to Hashem because they're still part of the family. But once that relationship then becomes adversarial and the kids get kicked out of the family or the relationship or becomes not, difficult. Or even not that dramatic. But if the kid senses that the parents are looking at them with condescension, right. even if they're saying all the right things, you know, right. the condescension is going to leak 
right. through. The child is not going to want to be in that space. Do you want to be mm-hmm. around people who, who like you kind of feel are condescending to you? No, you're going to mm-hmm. distance yourself from those people and you're going to yeah. look down on the values they stand for. Right. So it's not good enough to act that way. Eventually, I mean, it's a good place to start. Right. Don't get me wrong. Fake it till you make it kind of thing. <laughs> but truly the yeah. goal yeah. is to really actually accept that your kid just has to go through whatever they're going through right now. Well, this is sort of a perfect circle of where we started off this podcast, which is that Kirov is just about connection and yes. connecting people. And the personal relationships. Personal relationship, but connecting people to Hashem. And Correct. what they're going through is their personal journey. Yep. And if you're fortunate enough to be Zoha, to be a part of that, then that's a bonus for you more so than it is even for them. And because- it goes back to what we said, too, about how you cannot have an agenda for another human being. Yes. And that includes your that, own child. That is what I wanted to get back to because that is so important. Yeah. You got to really yeah. check your agenda because sometimes they're hiding. Yes. If you find yourself getting frustrated with what someone else is doing, you ask yourself, do I have an agenda for this person? Right. Or for myself that I'm living out through this person. Yeah. Oh, I'm a successful parent. Right. I'm a successful professional. Right. No, no, no. What makes you successful is how you behave. Right. Not how anyone else behaves. Right. It's amazing. What a wonderful way to end the podcast. So before we finish, um, please just tell people where they can find you. Your books, yes. tell tell everybody. Okay, so here goes the commercial. Okay. Here goes the cure of professional. <laughs> All right, so I yeah. am on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can't friend me on Facebook because <laughs> I'm maxed out on my friends, <laughs> but you can follow me. Um, you can uh, follow me on Instagram and... What's your... Inst- at, at what? Rochi Koval. At Rochi Koval. Okay. Um, my blog is outoftheorthobox.com. I have a WhatsApp channel that you can follow by... Whatever, just Google me and email me and ask me how. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? My book, my first book, Conversations with God, mm-hmm. which is called Prayers for Jewish Women, but really it's not just for women, mm-hmm. um, is on Amazon and Mosaic Press. Mm-hmm. And my second book, which Emirates Hashem is coming out in a month or two. Masa. Thank you. Yay. I know, I feel like I've been birthing this baby for four it, years. Writing a book is like having a baby. Oh it's effort gosh. and effort and effort, and then you have to give one final push. And, and I've just been get in it my out. ninth month for like a year. <laughs> Um, so okay. God willing, it's coming out in a week or two, in a month or two, it's called soul construction. And it's basically a muster safer for the general audience, like for a non-Jew or a non-from Jew or whatever. So it's just eight character, it covers eight character traits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. Wow. Oh, and my podcast, just look up Ruchi Koval on wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. So follow Ruchi, look up her podcasts as you can tell from this last, I don't know, 45 minute conversation almost. She's amazing. And I hope that you. you were all as inspired as I was. Thank you, everybody. I'll meet you back here at the next podcast. Thank you.